Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Understand you were very emotional on Monday when you addressed the team for the first time as, as the new manager. Why was that the case? Well, you know, one is that, you know, just being in the organization so uh, for so long, you know, 15 years and growing up here as a coach and uh, uh, becoming a manager as well, I think there's a lot of emotions in the mix. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the room that share some of that, you know, history, that journey, you know, to uh, get through here. So it, it was really special, you know, to be in the room talking to the guys and, you uh, um, you know, exchanging emotions and exchanging our vision, you know, our, our that we have for the season and what we're going to do in spring training, you know, preparing, uh, you know, as we started yesterday and then, you know, taking that into the season and being successful, which is what we want. So there's managing in the big leagues and then there's managing in New York, which is a whole different thing. So have you thought about how you will deal with the pressure of, of managing in the fishbowl of New York? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to enjoy it every every moment of it. I mean, I know there will be challenges. Uh, I think there's challenges uh, in a 162-game uh, uh, calendar, you know, in, in baseball. There's always challenges. I mean, you're going to see some things, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm very confident that I'm prepared, you know, to to go through it and be accountable, you know, for, uh, for the guys, uh, be accountable with the media, be accountable for a great fan base, you know, which is very passionate. So uh, that's one of the things that, you know, we, we, we prepare for, and we're actually right now, as, as, uh, we're moving in spring training, we're getting ready to, uh, you know, be there as far as that, being a cobble for each other and be a kind of out there. You mentioned that it's been a long road for you. You've come up through the organization, and you are not that much older than some of the guys on your team, guys with a lot of gravitas, like Cano and Cespedes, who we've seen on the field the last couple of days. What's it going to be like for you when you have to have those difficult conversations uh, sometimes not the most pleasant conversations. 
how, how will you how will you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, first of all, it helps you know knowing each other. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I know the group; they know me back. And there's, there's also some guys that are new faces to us, and they're, they they kind of like fall in that category that you just mentioned. Uh, but you know, they see me as their manager, and they see me as as uh, also as you know a team member. You know, which we have a, we have a great family there. And uh, it's always going to be an open communication. I mean, they, we already established that. So uh, we have long and short conversations, you know, to to uh, to get to the ideas, to get to our points across. So um, it's something that I'm very confident, you know, is going to go through easy. And uh, our level, uh, level of communication is going to be high as well. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, February the 23rd, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to send me a note, you can email me at Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Welcome in, everybody. In this podcast, as we're now a couple of weeks into uh, spring training, uh, games have started. You have your first uh, taste of Mets action. If you had a chance to watch them on Picks 11, a couple of losses, but players getting in their work. We're not going to get crazy about wins and losses right now. It's more about preparing for the upcoming season. And really, uh, and we'll get to a couple other stories out there, but really, the to me, the big story, or the big observation that I've had is the work of Luis Rojas. Now, we're not down there in spring training. I'm not covering the team one-on-one. I'm not in the clubhouse. But a couple of articles have come out. Kevin Kernan wrote a very good article, actually multiple good articles, about some of the things he's seen from Luis Rojas. Just recently in today's New York Post, he talked about uh, the difference with the Mets with respect to Rojas, the attention to detail, the attitude. Uh, Really, Rojas focusing on preparation and a lot of the little things. Uh, Andy Martino talked about Rojas and his affable demeanor and his uh, ability to deal with the media, uh, not treating things like a state secret, actually took a little pot shot at Mickey Calloway and, and Joe Girardi uh, and talked about how uh, Rojas reminds him a little bit of uh, Aaron Boone and, and, and Terry Collins. They won't let Terry Collins go, but uh, they love Terry Collins. So if that's winning over the media, if that's Rojas's aim, if, if he's being compared to Terry Collins, he's certainly... Going to do that, winning over the media. So the purpose of this podcast and and really the focus is going to be, can we dive a little bit more into Luis Rojas and and learn a little bit about him? So um, I have coming on from from, uh, uh, with me is author Peter Karasotis. Peter wrote the book, Alou, My Baseball Journey. And uh, 
I know that that's not about the Mets and it's not about a map but Felipe Lou's uh, biography. And Peter knows Felipe for the last couple of years, was uh, a longtime friend, is a longtime friend of uh, former Giants manager Bruce Boche. And Peter and I, and we talked earlier in the week, really sat down and had a conversation and dived into Felipe Lou and some of the things that we can expect maybe because Luis, learning under his father, uh, had a chance to be in some of those Montreal Expos clubhouses and and saw him as a young uh, man going through the minor leagues and working his way up. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities where Felipe Lou was not supposed to be the manager of the Montreal Expos. He was a, a longtime minor league manager. He passed up managerial positions. Uh, and then he... Um, Leaves Montreal and goes to San Francisco, and he has success there. And and he probably would have had more success in Montreal if not for the financial issues, the strike, and and some of the things that happened. But one thing you could always say, even when those Expos teams were bad, and I always remember back in late 1998 when the Mets were fighting for a wild card, those Expos teams under Felipe Lou came to town and played the Mets really tough and won a couple of games, two games that essentially cost the Mets a playoff spot that season. So... Uh, we'll get to hear from Peter Karasotis, a longtime journalist, author of the book, Lou, My Baseball Journey. What does he think we could expect from Felipe's son, Luis Rojas, as he spent time, a number of hours around Felipe and still talks to him and, and really knows uh, uh, the Lou family, and, uh, of which, of course, Luis Rojas is, is Felipe's son. So you'll hear from uh, uh, Peter in just a moment. But the first real, if you want to talk in controversy, if you want to judge how Rojas has handled controversies, came this week in the form of Ioannis Cespedes. And I guess that's not a real surprise. Cespedes has always been a polarizing figure since he came here. And... Long and short of it is, and, and if you've been under a rock, you haven't heard this, but Cespedes told the media earlier this week, hey, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, and and that's that. And, of course, that doesn't sit well with the media. And I think Ioannis has a point. And like I said, the real thing that the, the media and the beat, and I think maybe the players don't realize it, it's the editors and the those that write the headlines that sometimes cause the most trouble out there. And I think with Ioannis, it's it's basically the the way, I would guess, the way they handled the whole Boar incident, how they made light of it, how they made fun of it, and, and really not acknowledging the severity of that situation. And I went back at the beginning to make, make a joke of that. The guy could have died. Now, yeah, is it crazy that here's a guy, he had uh, an injury to both heels, uh, an injury that other players have had, like I said, this is a similar injury to what Cliff Floyd had uh, back during his playing days with the Mets. So the initial injury with his heels and the, and the spurs and the calcification, that's that happens. You know, that's not something that you know is anything that sometimes a player other, could, could prevent. It's it's part of the body. It's part of the wear and tear. And the bore and the whole situation. I, I mean, certainly Cespedes should have used better judgment there. But he's always been uh, an outdoorsman. I mean, that's been no secret. And, um, you know, obviously there was a clause in his contract because the Mets got themselves a break financially when uh, this all went down. But for the media to make fun of it and make jokes and LOL and all that other stuff, it would annoy me too. And, and, And I guess Cespedes looks at it pretty easily and says, anything I say is going to be twisted. Anything I say is going to be made into either a joke or a controversy. So why talk? Now, how did Rojas handle that? 
Rojas deflected. He basically went back to what Uenis is doing on the field to prepare at what point he was in his rehab. And he totally ignored the question. And when I first saw that, I was like, wow, he may get hit for that. That might not go over well. But uh, the media seemed to accept that. And they even said it's a deflection. They'll accept it for now. I think eventually this whole Ioannis speaking to the press might have to be accepted uh, as something that's going to have to change. Uh, Rojas, to me, uh, can deflect now. Uh, I think eventually there's going to be some pressure on him. But I know the way he handled it now is smart because if he comments on it, if he comments it pro-Cespedes or anti-Cespedes, I think it starts his first controversy. And the guy's not stupid. He knows it's about preparing for the season now. He knows he needs to establish himself in that clubhouse. And he needs to establish himself as in charge. And the last thing he needs is a day after day in an environment where the media is not looking to report on the game, but they're looking to report on the gossip, where they turn this into Rojas not handling Cespedes well, Rojas um, you know, not being able to stand up to Cespedes, because that's you heard that in that clip coming in, the conversation that Gary Apple was having on SNY. Everybody's going to be looking to see how Rojas handles the big names, especially the Latino big names, guys like Cano, guys like Cespedes. Um, you know, if they don't do the things that we expect on the field, if they don't hustle, if they don't talk to the media, uh, if they become uh, malcontents in the eyes of the media, they're going to see how Roas handles that. So he'll be challenged. I think so far, I have to agree with Kevin Kernan. You're seeing a camp where a team that's very focused on the things that need to be done on the field to win. You see a guy who's very even keeled in his interviews, uh, somewhat monotone, uh, always focused on baseball, and continues to preach the word of preparation and detail. And all the boring baseball things that is what spring training is. Uh, How long is that going to satisfy the masses? Who knows? But that's really his job as baseball manager, as manager of the New York Mets, are those things. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, author Peter Karasotis. Peter is the author of the book, Alou, My Baseball Journey. Uh, it's a Felipe Lou book. Felipe, of course, is the father of Luis Rojas, the new, the new Mets manager. And let's see if we can learn about what kind of manager we can expect Luis Rojas to be um, if we look back at the history of his father, Felipe Lou, his career, his career in Montreal, his career with the Giants, how he made his way through uh, the baseball system after he retired as a player. There's a lot of similarities between the two. I think you'll find it very interesting. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. This looks like one of the best Mets teams in years. What excites you the most about this group? Everything. Everything. I mean, different areas that we have. We have strengths in different areas. I mean, we can start with our starting pitchers, uh, and then we can follow with the depth in our bullpen. I mean, starting pitchers with experience, young, uh, I mean, the, the relievers, the bullpen with uh, um, safe history, you know, they're being closers, guys that also pitch in, in other roles, you know, being uh, long. Uh, and then the position players that have versatility to play in different positions so we can play around with a lineup. So I, right now, I like everything of the team. I mean, we, we feel that we're very strong, but we have a goal of, get, of preparing in spring training. That's what we're doing right now.
We're back, and joining me is uh, longtime journalist, author Peter Karasotis. Uh, He's the author of the book, Alou, My Baseball Journey, about Felipe Alou. And you might be asking, why are we on this Mets podcast talking about Felipe Alou? Well, his son, Luis Rojas, is the new manager of the Mets. And I think there's a lot of connections if you read the book, Alou, about Felipe's journey. And I think the journey that Luis has just taken on with the Mets. And Peter, welcome to the program. And you know what? Not bad for business when one of the Alou's sons, this uh, you know, this baseball family that I think sometimes gets underreported on a little bit, gets a job in the big New York market and, and now has a chance to make his mark with the Mets and gives you a chance to talk about Felipe and the interesting uh, life he's had. So welcome to the program. How are you? Thank, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing wonderful. It's nice to be on with you. You know, I, I would imagine that a lot of your listeners probably are wondering why the Mets manager is Felipe Alou's son, and his last name is not Alou, it's Luis Rojas. And there's a story about that. It's actually how the how the book begins. The first sentence in the book is uh, is Felipe saying, my last name is not Alou, and his last name is actually Rojas. In uh, the Dominican and Latin America, it's very common to uh, take the last name of the mother and add it to the last name of the father. So my last name would be Peter Carasotis and then my mother's maiden name. Uh, so his name is Luis Rojas, and then Alua gets attached to it. And when he came to this country to play baseball, uh, they saw Luis Rojas Alou, and they thought his last name was Alou. They put it on his minor league jersey. He didn't know how to correct them, and he just stuck with it. So it's it's... It's uh, Felipe Rojas Alou. So any of his children who were born in the United States, like Moises Alou, <laughs> have the Alou <laughs> surname. And any of his kids, like Luis Rojas, have the Rojas last name if they were born in the Dominican. So that's why Luis Rojas has the real last name, because he was born in Dominican. And Moises Alou, who was a great Mets player, has the Alou last name because he was born in Atlanta. And you know what, uh, Moises, a very underrated uh, player in his own right. But, you know, to get – this is a very interesting book, and I know it's a, a project that took you many, many years to actually uh, all come together. I believe Bruce Boche even helped you, the former manager of the Giants, bring it together. And and one of the things early on – and look, Luis has only been a Mets manager now for, what, uh, a week, maybe a little over a week, a <laughs> couple weeks. But, you know, in yeah. your book, and, and, and you actually – especially if you got the Kindle version – you could go to different parts, and if you want to, you know, read about the 1994 Expos or about Alou's early years coming to the United States, you could skip around a little bit if you want to do that. But there's one part about his managerial philosophy, and and what I took away from that was he compares managing to fishing. He's an avid uh, uh, fisherman. He's passionate about it, and he talks about preparation. And really, what I took away from that, and and you've heard Luis talk about it throughout his first couple of weeks on the Mets job, is and it's almost boring and mundane, and I wonder how long the writers who need to get good copy over the course of you know, an eight-month baseball season could, could deal with the boring little preparation and, and little things that come with being a manager of a baseball team. But uh, Felipe talks about just preparation, and really it's a matter-of-fact thing. It's a lot of little things, and he compares it to fishing, and sometimes you have a good day and sometimes you have a bad day regardless of preparation. So I – took away from that chapter and and i know his managerial experience is so much more than just that but it's really a basic thing preparation yeah preparation uh knowing your personnel he talks a lot about uh 
his years managing in the minor leagues and even in the major leagues, you not only have to manage your players and instruct your players, but also your coaches and being a minor league manager for many years. And it's interesting because I, I sent Felipe a photo this morning and I saw it in one of the New York papers and it's Luis with his staff. They're all in uniform. They're outside somewhere and Luis is, is talking to them. And it just reminded me of one of Felipe's philosophies is no one person manages a team and you have to manage your staff as much as you have to manage your players because your staff is going to know different aspects of the team better than you. <laughs> They're going to know the pitching staff better than you because he's the pitching coach or some aspect of a hitter. And so when you talk about preparation, it's not just preparing the players. It's it's the whole organization. And um, with, with Luis... Felipe had 11 sons, uh, 11 children. Uh, his oldest son died tragically, so there are 10, 10 children living. And I know Felipe well enough that, you know, he's pretty honest and tells it like it is. And he wouldn't just be talking up one of his kids just to talk up one of his kids, because I've seen him, you know, I've seen him the other direction. He's been telling me for years about Luis and Luis working his way through the minors about how intelligent he is, how much of a leader he is, how much of a baseball guy he is, how, you know, all these different things, all the ingredients that if you read that chapter where he talks about his managing philosophy, uh, he, he, you know, a lot of his guys that he had on his coaching staff later became major league managers, you know, sort of that, you know, the family tree is not just, biological there's you know head coaches in football and college and who who did they have on their staff that became head coaches and uh so he knows not only how to manage but how to look for guys who are going to be managing and be successful and he's always for years been telling me about Luis and I just got off the phone with him last night they talk regularly he would follow his games even though he's a front office guy with the Giants so I think Mets fans should be pretty excited about about this hire and not be so bummed out maybe about what happened with Carlos Beltran and who is this guy, they're going to find out pretty quick who Luis Rojas is. What I find interesting, Peter, and I have uh, Peter Carasotis, the uh, author of Alu, My Baseball Journey, great book, uh, good baseball book, and uh, something that whether you're a Mets fan, Yankees fan, baseball fan, if you want to learn about the history of baseball, the Alou family uh, should be part of that. Uh, what I find interesting is that Felipe's career, obviously as a player, ended in the late 70s, and he became a manager uh, 16 years later, but he spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, a lot of time in the Dominican Winter Leagues. Uh, I don't think he was a guy that you would have expected. He wasn't a hot shot manager uh, at any point. He was given the job midseason 1992, and he takes over a team that was underachieving, uh, a team that in the 80s probably should have won a little bit more than they did, and all of a sudden, all this talent falls in his lap and he brings it all together and if you look at Luis yeah he was with the Mets 15 years highly regarded in the system quality control coach he wasn't supposed to be the Mets manager right now um, I don't think anybody even knew his name 12 months prior to now and, and now he's uh, not only the manager he's in New York and he's in a situation with a team that hasn't won in a long time and has a, a lot of pressure on them a lot of external things going on you know, Felipe came into a situation and, and, and built that up and then had his own challenges 
with the tear down of the expos that you outlined in the book. So it's interesting how the parallels here. You know, Luis is kind of coming in, not exactly the same, but interesting how he wasn't supposed to be the manager, and I don't think Felipe ever really was planning on being the uh, the expos manager either. Yeah, here's it's a, some good connections that you're making, and it's got me thinking too. Um, here's another connection: is the team that Felipe took over in 1992 uh, with the Montreal Expos, he managed and developed a good chunk of those major league players that went on in 1994 to have the best record in baseball before uh, the strike in the World Series was eliminated. Uh, he had those guys in the minor leagues, and he developed and 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 uh, and coached and managed a lot of those players. Same thing with Luis right now. Uh, a lot of these guys, and you heard it after he got the job, uh, the Pete Alonzos and some of the other players were all on social media and, and other platforms or whenever uh, mainstream media was contacting them, extolling the virtues of Luis Rojas and how excited they were because they had played for him and they had been managed by him and had been developed by him in the minor leagues. So this, this, those are two interesting similarities. The thing about Felipe, and we, he and I talked about this recently, because when he was a boy, there were no black players playing Major League Baseball, much less nobody from the Dominican. Felipe was the first born and raised Dominican to become a Major League player, to play in the World Series, to become a Major League manager. Joe Torre, who a lot of people old enough like me will remember, managed the Mets first, <laughs> not the Yankees. Yep. Uh, sure. He became he became the manager of the Mets at, at right around Luis Rojas's age right now. I believe Joe Torre was 37. Felipe Alou was never going to become a major league manager at 37 years old because he had two strikes against him. He was black and he was Latino. And so it took a long time before he got his break. He was 57 years old. And I was talking about this with Tony LaRusso a few months ago. Had Felipe had a chance to manage at 37 like Joe Torre, both had very similar playing careers, very good playing careers, over 2,000 hits, you know, all-stars and things like that, but not quite the playing career to become a Hall of Famer. Had he started managing when, when a white guy like Joe Torre could manage at 37 and had 20 years of just a 500 career, he'd be top five all time and wins right now. And, I, and when Tony LaRusso and I were talking, I say, guess he'd be fourth all time if he had 20 years managing 500. And guess who he'd be behind Tony? And Tony smiled. He'd be one behind Tony LaRusso. 94, he doesn't get to manage in the World Series or even a chance to make the playoffs because of the season getting wiped out. They had the best team in baseball. The Yankees had the best team in the American League, but the Expos the best team in baseball. Let's say that season had not been wiped out and they had the chance to go and perhaps win a World Series. The Expos couldn't have broken up the team as they did before the 95 season started right after the strike ended. And all of those great players that they had who were traded and, and eventually, you know, the John Wetlands and the Pedro Martinez's and the Randy Johnson's and Larry Walker's, you know, Larry Walker was traded the day after the, the strike ended. They just got rid of him. I mean, all these guys, Hall of Famers, he might have had the managerial career in the late 90s that Joe Torre had winning multiple championships and now Joe Torre's in the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, I told Felipe, uh, and, and I was telling the LaRusso, retroactively, 
Cooperstown in baseball has acknowledged the black players who were denied the Josh Gibsons and the Satchel Pages and you know Jackie Robinson didn't have a long career because he didn't get to play until he was almost 30. The, you know all those guys it was factored in when they became Hall of Famers and I think it's time to look at the Felipe Alou's and say this guy was one of the pioneers for Latin American baseball players. He and guys like Roberto Clemente, the first guy from the Dominican. Now that country produces more players than any other country outside of the United States and, and more per capita than any country. And Felipe Alou opened the door. Not only did he open the door for the players, but now a generation later, his son Luis is getting the opportunity in his late 30s to manage a team at a major league level that Felipe Alou never had the opportunity to do, but because his father opened that door and showed baseball, Latinos can manage. Alex Cora, guys like that who've come after Felipe Alou can manage. Now we see a young guy like Luis Rojas getting that opportunity. So not only are there similarities in how they develop players and then got their shot, but that his father is the reason why he's got this shot right now to manage a team in a major market like the New York Mets. Peter Carasotis, Alou, my baseball journey, author of the book, great stuff. As we look back at Felipe Alou and, and some of the learnings that he took away from uh, the project, his book that came out a couple of years ago, and, and try to get an idea of what to expect from his son, Luis Rojas, the new manager of the Mets. And, um, you know, listening to you talk, and also uh, uh, we went back to his managerial philosophy, he tells some stories, and there's tons of great stories throughout this book, by the way, great baseball stories. Um, and I know that in doing some research that uh, one of the hesitations by Felipe was that he was he wanted to tell stories and he wasn't sure if all the stories would uh, would go over well. So he's not just telling glowing stories about everybody, but one that that stood out was, uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero in the Dominican Winter League and how he disrespected Felipe during a game. And he went after him. And I'm, and I'm thinking about Felipe as a young man watching the game and he was a quiet guy. He wasn't a guy that would market himself. He wasn't the Lou Pinella type manager or Billy Martin that made a scene out there on the field. And I'm, I'm reading that part about Felipe going after Pedro Guerrero, who could have been a difficult guy, anyone who, who knew him when he played back then. And then I think about some of the challenges that his son is going to have, where he has some guys that the media is pe pegging as maybe being difficult or maybe being potentially uh, guys that could derail what may be a good season for the Mets. Guys like Robinson Cano and Ioannis Cespedes, who is, you know, this week started to pipe up a little bit. And, uh, you know, everyone keeps saying, you know, yeah, Luis looks calm and, you know, he's very measured. That's some of the early returns. And so was Felipe. But they got some spit and vinegar and, and fire underneath all that. And, and I would, was wondering your take on that, because that's going to be a big part, disciplining, especially because now he's got guys that uh, are his age or older who have been in the league longer and accomplished more than him. He's going to have to tell them, well, maybe you're not playing this weekend or maybe you're not an everyday player anymore. You know, some of, the, some of those kind of challenges. And I think back to that story about how he stood up to Pedro Guerrero, a star uh, in the Dominican Winter League. Yeah, it was in the Dominican Winter League, and, and uh, they were trying to get Pedro to shift over in the outfield. And uh, he was pretending like he, he didn't see what they were doing from the dugout. And so finally they got his attention, and he moved over, and then the ball got hit a fly ball exactly where he was standing. And so he you know, wasn't, you know, move over 10 yards and catch the ball. And uh, then he made a demonstrative waving of his hands like, see, I knew what I was doing. And then 
uh, as often happens in, in minor league baseball, Dominican, the manager's also coaching third base, and he threw the ball as he was coming off the field. The ball came trotting past Felipe, and he didn't think much of it. Then a glove came comes skidding past him, and then somebody said, that was Pedro threw his ball and the glove at you, and he went after him and took a swing at him and, and then suspended him, you know, kicked him, kicked him and his brother Jesus off the team and uh, created a lot of problems with the owner and and uh, eventually Pedro apologized. So that's the story you're talking about. Now with Luis, the one thing I've heard from Felipe over and over again is, and I just need to say the expression and you're, no, you're going to know exactly, he, the thing he would tell me about Luis is, he is a man. He is a man. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, Luis, uh, Felipe told me that um, he signed for like $300,000. He was, he, he was a prospect. This wasn't a guy that, uh, that shuffled around the minor leagues. He got injured. And early on in his career, he saw that uh, he, uh, because of the injuries, he wasn't going to be able to play, even though he was a prospect. And then he segued quickly over into managing. He's got a lot of a lot of games under his belt for for a young guy. This is not a guy who stopped playing in his early 30s and now he's in his later 30s and now he's managing. He's got a good 10, 15 years under his belt of, of managing. And so when Felipe says he's a man, I don't think Luis is going to have a problem being a disciplinarian and uh, and communicating with guys. Now, that being said, you and I know that the Robinson Canoes and the Ioannis Cespedes and other players always pose a problem. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer as a player or not. There's always going to be those headaches. What I've taken away is, uh, you know, believe it or not, I've never met Luis. I've met a lot of the other kids um Moises oldest sister and I have become close friends uh, we text back and forth uh all I've ever with Luis is is heard about him from Felipe or I'm at the house and he'll tell me hey I talked to Luis last night and then you know he was managing in the minor leagues and then he'd give me a recap of the game and and then talk a little bit so I've never met him but but all I've ever heard from what I've heard since he's been hired and what I've read about him from guys who've played for him in the minor leagues is how well he communicates, how well he tells players exactly what's going on, the reason why it's going on, and why the decision is being made. And if you if you know Felipe, it's exactly the way he is, and it's exactly the way guys who played for him would say that they may not have agreed with with what decision he made, but they respected the fact that he told them, told them why, and explained it, and then it's it's closed. You know, there's a, there's a story in the book about um, Dennis Martinez, which was another great player with the Expos. The first game Felipe managed with the Montreal Expos when when he was named manager, the pitcher was Dennis Martinez. Dennis was a veteran pitcher at the time, El Presidente, uh, Nicaraguan, and he had been given the, the previous manager, Tom Runnels, some problems. Runnels would come out to the mound to get the baseball, and um, and Dennis Martinez would, would not give it to him, you know, kind of talk him out of why he's coming to the mound or not want to come out of the game. 
So Martinez was the first pitcher in, in Felipe's first game as a manager, and he told him, he said, uh, you're my starter, you're my ace, and uh, I know what you can do on the mound. He says, but I want you to know, when I come to the mound, I'm coming from the base. I'm coming for the baseball. So you give me the baseball. When I'm, and then Dennis started to debate him, and said, you know, there's sometimes I think I got some, you know. And Felipe goes, I understand. He goes, but when I come to the mound, I'm coming for the ball, and you give me the ball. After the game, Dennis Martinez came into the uh, his office. Hours after they had won the game, Martinez had pitched a gem, and they had been drinking some wine and just kind of celebrating a little bit. And then he saw Martinez was the only player left, and uh, he he came into the office and uh, he gave Felipe a hug and and he said, uh, "Here, Jeffy," which means chief, and he gave him the baseball. And it was sort of an acknowledgement of, you know, guys want a leader. Guys don't want somebody that they know they can push around and maybe their teammate can push around a little bit more and I'm not pushing hard enough. Guys want a leader who's going to communicate and and explain why the decision is made and it's and it's and 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 they understand where they stand. And that's what Martinez did after that game. He came to him in that way. And I think that's what you're going to see with Luis. The other part of it too is baseball has changed a lot from you know, I'm 62 in a couple of months. I've got a good friend of mine who uh, was Bruce Brochi's co- uh, uh, college coach, had gone as far as AAA in baseball and then became a roving instructor and a college coach. And in the summers, he was a roving hitting instructor. And he would tell me that just even in the minor leagues as a roving hitting instructor or just coming into big league camp and during spring training, there was always pushback. Who are you? And, and you know, there'd be some vulgarities hurled his way. You never played in the major leagues. Who are you to tell me what to do or how to hit or this or that? This guy's like a hitting guru. That's not the situation today. You know, the the Giants just hired a female coach. The San Antonio Spurs have a female coach. Uh, There's a lot of college coaches that have come into Major League Baseball. There's a lot of people that have come into the game and into the front office that have never played in a major league game. And so I, I think it's a different vibe for players in those 25, now 26 guys in a clubhouse towards a guy like Luis Rojas, who didn't get to the major leagues. I don't think that matters as much as it did a generation and more before. So I don't think he's going to have that against him. But if he if he's a communicator like I read about him, and he's everything that I've heard Felipe uh, tell me about him through the years, I think I think he's going to be as successful as you would hope he could be, given the fact that there's always going to be bumps in the road and always going to be the the problem childs and, the, and some guys in the clubhouse that that always cause problems. I don't care who you are. And you know what? I've never seen a reaction from players about a manager being hired. I mean, in a bad situation, Beltron getting fired, the sign stealing. You know, a lot of the things that negatively come out by the Mets just hiring, uh, you know, Beltron on the heels of all that. And for the players to basically and Pete Alonso to say, hey, you know, first of all, it's about us playing baseball. It's about us, you know, getting together here and and really going to social media and supporting a manager. I mean, Peter, I don't I don't know about you. You know, you have a lot more experience than I. And obviously, back in the day, it wasn't on Twitter or Instagram that they did these things. But. Uh, you know, maybe to you privately, I, I never remember a managerial hire being endorsed 
so vociferously, not only by the star of the team, but other guys that are, uh, you know, key contributors. It's new. It's refreshing. It worries me a little bit because sometimes the term players manager means, you know, they think he's going to be soft on them. Sounds like they're going to be in for a surprise if they think that. But have you ever seen such an endorsement like Luis got from the players when uh, he was hired just a couple of weeks ago? I can't say that I have. You know, I'm, I'm racing through my mind now. And, and, and exactly what you just said, I, I thought about. And if I didn't have the relationship I have with his father and hadn't heard things through the years, I I, I would be worried about that. I would be worried that uh, the inmates think that they're going to have a run of the asylum. But because I've heard Felipe consistently say he's a man among men, he's a leader, uh, all of these different things, and then I see players saying the kinds of things it's not just that they're saying they're happy that he got hired. They're explaining why they're happy he got hired. And none of what I've read is what we what we would normally be worried about. You know, I haven't heard that he's a player's manager. I've heard he's a communicator. He's He's got un, unbelievable work ethic. He knows the game inside out. I get the feeling that they they want him to be successful. They want to play for him. They want to be led by him. Those are the types of comments and quotes that I'm seeing. And that's a little bit different than the initial reaction that you and I would normally have is, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, right. uh, you know, this is going to be a country club. I'm not hearing that. And I haven't heard that from, from, from Felipe through the years about him. Uh, so I'm, I'm eager. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how the Mets do this season, and uh, I don't live that far from Port St. Lucie, and I know that he's he's close with Felipe had has ten living children. There were four born from his first marriage, which they got married young in the Dominican, and that's where Moises comes from. He's the baby of those four. The oldest of the four died in a in a tragic swimming pool accident, so the oldest of the ten kids is Maria, and Maria's like a second mother to all of these kids because she's the oldest. Then he married uh, a second time to an American woman in Atlanta. They had three daughters. When his playing career was winding down, uh, he was planning on moving back to the Dominican. She wasn't going to go to the Dominican. And uh, so that marriage ended in divorce. So he's got three daughters from his second marriage. Then he started, Felipe did a, um, a summer league with Julian Javier in the Dominican, which which morphed into the academies that every major league team now has in the Dominican Republic. So when when he was doing that, there was a, a secretary that they had that that he wound up marrying. That's Luis's mother, who was at the press conference. Elsa, two boys from that marriage. Uh, Luis's brother is in baseball. I think he's in the Orioles organization as a scout. And then he. Uh, married one final time after that and has two kids with a Canadian woman that they've been married 32 years. So I'm eager to maybe get together with his sister and go to Port St. Lucie and not just walk up to him and he'll know who I am because I wrote the book, but maybe go out to dinner or something after a game and, and get to know him better. I do know this. A lot of guys that grew up with a father that was in baseball for entire life 
are kind of spoiled. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Vlad Guerrero Juniors or some of the other players, the Barry Bonds. Uh, you do get a sense that those guys seem to have a sense of entitlement sometimes. Uh, these kids that grew up under Felipe Alou, you know, he didn't get a major league managing job until he was 57. He did not have money. Mm. He was supporting right. a lot of kids. He was living in an efficiency down in West Palm Beach a lot of times. Uh, Moises didn't even have a bike growing up. These kids are not entitled, and, and they were around baseball. They've got pictures of Luis asleep on the bench at a Florida State League single-A baseball team. That was a lot of the environment he grew up in, with his dad making next to nothing and sleeping at the ballpark on the bench and the dugout while the team was playing. So this is not a kid who grew up spoiled or knowing he had it made. It's a guy who kind of grew up around the game but wasn't going to get anything handed to him. And so that part of the equation, to me, is kind of interesting as well. Uh, Peter, I, I also think listening to you talk, the competitiveness of Felipe Alou, uh, obviously as a player, but you tell a story about 1998, how he went after Mark McGuire, you know, not wanting to just walk him. And, and, and I know that Felipe had an admiration for Sammy Sosa, and obviously there was some nationalism with that home run race. But I also think back to that September, the Mets were in a wild card race just a week before, and they came to uh, Shea Stadium. I remember going to those games, and the Mets needed those wins, and a, and a bad Expos team beat the Mets. I think they might have swept them in a two-game set or a three-game set and, and really put a hurt on the Mets' wild card chances, and they wound up missing the wild card by one game. And what I do remember is that whether they were good or they were bad, Felipe's Expos teams, they were also very competitive, very pesky. Now, they had a lot of young players that were highly regarded prospects and they were good, but they may not have been ready yet. They may have not been the best team, but listening to you talk, I think it's clear that Felipe is a competitor and his team took on his personality, even if they were 30, 40 games out of first place. Yeah. The story you tell about McGuire, there was pressure on him from the Dominican. The last series of the season, it was against the, uh, the Expos or one of the last, it might've been the last series of the season. I'm, going by memory now, but um, there was a feeling that, you know, pitch around McGuire, you know, Sosa's a Dominican, um, you know, what's the point of, of pitching to him? And he was developing young pitchers, and he told them, you know, he had been telling them all year long, or guys that got called up towards the end of the year, attack, 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 you know, don't nibble, attack hitters. He goes, so what am I going to do, tell them now? to pitch around this guy. He goes, I wanted to, I wanted them to, to be competitors. I wanted them to attack McGuire. And of course they did attack McGuire and McGuire launched a barrage of home runs. And after that series ended, McGuire came over and handed Felipe his batting gloves and signed them and appreciated the fact that he knew, he knew he, he could have pitched around him and he knew that Sosa was Dominican and, and there was uh, pressure on that and so he respected Felipe for that. And when you talk about uh, competitiveness, yes, uh, and this is another connection with Luis, Felipe would always say a minor league manager's job is to develop players, and part of developing players is not just developing their talent, but instilling them a winning philosophy, a winning attitude, a competitiveness to win. We're not just developing your skills, we're developing the intangibles of winning. 
And and if you look at Luis's minor league career and his his uh, winter league baseball in the Dominican, he won championships. He was developing about a third, almost half of the players that are on this roster now with the Mets. He not only developed them, but he won with them in the minor leagues. So when they say that they're happy that he's their manager, they won championships with him. So they are competitors, and they're saying to themselves, we've got a guy who's taken us to a championship already. We know he can do it again, and that's our goal here with the big club. So, yeah, that, that's another connection that you just kind of touched on. Peter, before I let you go, anytime you take on a, a project like this, uh, you learn a lot. And, and we've focused on Felipe Lou, the manager, and the connections with Luis Rojas. It connects with you know, this program and, and what I do. But there's so much more, I mean, about this book, about his career, you know, he, he coming over from the Dominican Republic and, you know, social issues and things of that nature. Is there anything before I let you go that you, you know, the one big learning you took away from this, something that maybe surprised you, you know, you're a longtime sports writer, you know, you obviously knew a little bit about Felipe Lu going into this uh, maybe it's not related to Luis Rojas and the managerial situation. Maybe it's something else. But I'm curious, what's the big learning from this project that you take away, you know, after it's all said and done? Well, for me, you know, nationalism, uh, I get it. I get pride of nation, pride of culture and all of that. Uh, to me, what emerged from a 15 by 15 foot shack, Felipe grew up sleeping on dirt. The oldest of five or six kids, uh, you know, one of them became a graduated summa cum laude, uh, the fourth Alou brother who got caught up in the revolution. And, and uh, they, Felipe says he was better than the three of them that made it, he, Maddie, and, and Jesus. Uh, there could have been four Alou brothers. Uh, Jesus now runs the Dominican Academy for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Moises has been um, uh, sought after as a manager for a while now. Uh, with San Diego, he's in the front office. Uh, Luis, last year at the, uh, in the off season, the Tampa Bay Rays wanted to hire him for their major league staff. That's why the Mets created a quality control position. This isn't just a guy that the Mets knew about, and uh, and nobody else in Major League Baseball was aware of this up and coming talent. The Rays wanted him last year, and they didn't want him to get away, so they made the quality control position. Uh, Felipe's got a daughter who who is an attorney. Uh, other daughters that are very, very uh, uh, not only responsible, but you know, elected officials in this country now, and things like that. It just strikes me that, yeah, I get, I get this fervor of nationalism, but let's not forget that people from other countries and other cultures, and this guy emerged with no running water, no electricity, 15 by 15 foot shack, never played organized baseball. He's one of the most brilliant minds I've ever been around. There's only two people I've ever been around in sports that can go back 30 years and tell you about a game or a sequence of events in a game, and you go back and check, and they're spot on. And the other one is Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier can go back to his college playing days, and I did a, a, a series of stories with him 30 years after he won the Heisman, 
And we went week by week. And, yeah, we were playing Tennessee that week. And in the third quarter, you know, it was this much time left. And, you know, we ran this play and we got this many yards and we had a – and you go back and you find the stat sheet and everything is exactly – the numbers match up. Felipe's the same way. Guys who played for him tell me he would come up to them and say, hey, you know, we played the Cubs uh, three months ago and Lee Smith, when he was on the mound – he worked you this way, and he set you up with this pitch sequence. So be looking for that this time. And they're looking at him like, how in the heck do you remember that? I don't even remember. And and if Luis has that kind of mind, and Felipe tells me he's very intelligent, and I've never met him, and I'm not saying he's got that kind of memory, but if he's got that kind of mind or close to it, wow, because Felipe's phenomenal. And it just impresses upon me. When you meet people and they have a little bit of an accent or they come from a different culture, try to figure out what they have going for them instead of what they have going against them. Because you're going to miss a lot in life if you read differently into somebody just because they don't come from where you come from. And that's kind of the lesson. And I'm not saying I wasn't you know, a bigot before that and now I'm not. But we all have preconceived notions. And just getting to know Felipe and working with him on this book one of the most amazing men I've ever met, and again, came out of a 15 by 15 foot shack and has accomplished so much. My goal now is to help him get into the Hall of Fame, and there's a lot of people around him right now in the same way, and 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 that would be a thrill for me to see that happen because he belongs there. And I'll tell you what, I don't think it'll happen with Moise. He may be a little bit short, but he has an underrated career. Uh, you know, the Mets fans only saw him for a smattering of his career at the end, and he was injured. But if you look at those numbers and, and some of the injuries that he, uh, he lost seasons to, um, that's a borderline guy, especially now with uh, Larry Walker making it. So uh, definitely a, a baseball royalty that gets uh, underreported. Peter, I appreciate you coming on. So the, the book is Alu, My Baseball Journey. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Anything else you want the listeners to know about? Obviously, we're hoping that uh, you know not just Mets fans, but anybody who's checking in on this uh, gets a chance to read the book and gets ready for the uh, 2020 Mets season by uh, looking back at history with uh, Felipe Lu. So anything else you got uh, going on that you want the listeners to know about? No, just the the paperback's coming out uh, next month. It's got a fresh afterword from Bruce Bochy, who reveres Felipe as well, and that's a lock Hall of Fame manager. And in the afterword, he writes, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about me going into the Hall of Fame, but nothing would thrill me more than to see this pioneer, this giant, who's done so much in the game and the legacy continues now. And, and you guys, uh, as people who follow the Mets and have podcasts about the Mets and Mets fans, if you read the book, you're going to learn a lot about the history of this family and who your manager is now and where he came from. And, and I think you'll be impressed. I know you'll be impressed. Peter, you've been generous with your time. I kept you probably 30 minutes more than we had agreed to, so I hope it's all right, and and thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, let's do this again, all right, my friend? I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, yes. Thank you so much. uh, That's Peter Karasotis, Alou, my baseball journey. Uh, Great book, really interesting conversation. Hopefully you guys got a chance to learn a little bit about where Luis Rojas comes from and learn about a manager that we don't get a chance to really talk about because it's not a New York connection, but now has a big New York connection. I think Peter did a great job illuminating us on what to expect uh, this coming season from the new 
manager of the New York Mets. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back with more right after this. Los Angeles City Council voting unanimously to ask you to award the Dodgers the 2017 and 2018 World Series title after uh, Major League Baseball punished the Houston Astros for the cheating and continues to investigate the Boston Red Sox. I have to say, I think my dad would agree. Uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to Well, you work? know, there's a couple of problems with, you know, we haven't concluded our investigation with the Red Sox, so it's a little hard to take the trophy away from somebody who hasn't you know, yet been found to do something wrong. We don't know what the outcome of that's going to be. Um, I, I think that the second flaw is, you know, whatever the impact of the sign stealing was, um, it could have changed who was in the World Series. Absolutely unclear that the Dodgers would have been the World Series champion. I think there's a long tradition in baseball of not trying to change what happened. Um, I, I think the answer from our perspective is to be transparent about what the investigation showed and let our fans make their own decision about what happened. All right, great stuff from Peter Carasotis. Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I know it was a lot about Felipe Alou, but I think there's a lot to be learned from history. And I think as you heard Peter describe Alou, his thoughts, the things that he learned writing the book, and uh, some of the situations and how Alou handled that throughout his career, I think you're going to see Luis Rojas uh, behave a certain way. And you certainly learn from your mentors. And I would think that Felipe Lua's father, being around him at such a young age, going through the minor leagues with the Mets and a lot of the different scenarios that he's had, bodes very well. Like I said, I and I stand corrected after hearing more about Beltran and, and what a distraction he would have been with all the stuff that's going on with sign-stealing. Uh, it's almost like the Mets fumbled their way or stumbled their way into the right candidate because right now it would, it would be a mess in Port St. Lucie if Beltran was the manager. The media would be circling. There'd be uh, tons of things coming out. Uh, they would have their uh, proverbial knives and their sticks out, and it would have been very difficult. They may have had to fire Beltran in the middle of spring training. It had gotten so bad. So uh, they did not need that. They were smart. I was wrong. I, I was more thinking about not letting the media dictate who the manager is. And um, in this case, it was just too much. It would have been too much for this team that's working really hard on getting ready for the season. It has a lot of good things going on on the field to be distracted by a manager that, uh, as pointed out by Kevin Kernan a couple of weeks ago, and, and and I'll say this, probably has more experience, not probably, does have more experience managing than Beltron did. So uh, there's that. Now, uh, you heard the quote uh, by Rob Manfred on uh, Fox Business News. And the reason I'm bringing up science stealing, I'm bored by the topic and I'm not going deep into it. You're going to see on this, this program, unless this involves another round of the Mets or somehow connects to the Mets, I really don't want to talk about it. I don't want to make it a big part of it. So I will say this because now we're getting absurd. Because as this snowballs and continues to be a topic, and it's going to be like the steroids topic was, especially when the Mitchell report came out, where to fill dead time or to generate clicks, not just in sports publica- publications, but uh, in general, like you saw in the, in the Fox Business segment, or you heard in the Fox Business segment, you're going to he- see this go on and on, and there's going to be different layers to this. Uh, now the new layer is stripping the title taking the title away from the Astros, and even more absurd is giving the title 
to a team. In this case, the the, the the city council, the politicians out in L.A. wanted to be the Dodgers because you know the Yankees don't have a say in that because it would be definitely by stripping the Astros. Um, you know, definitely the Dodgers would have beaten the Yankees if that was the case, and and vice versa because you had the Yankees saying that they should be the champions. First off, the politicians have a lot in Los Angeles to worry about. Uh, their city's a disgrace at times. You know, the amount of homeless people running around there. Maybe you figure that out first before you worry about the Dodgers and their championship uh, situation. How about that? Number two, I've never believed in the NCAA, in, in especially in professional sports, but he was even stupid in the NCAA and stripping titles and erasing records from the record book. It doesn't make any sense. It happened. You learn from it. You, you know, you in the NCAA, you punish teams with violations. They can't recruit. It prevents them from winning going forward. I know that stinks for the players that weren't part of it, but that's life. Programs get punished for the future and going forward. You cannot erase the past. And you see it even in history, in regular U.S. or European history, where now you have educators who want to strike certain things from history books because you know they weren't they weren't good or they, they don't agree with what it was and or it's traumatizing people guys enough you know how you you learn from this stuff you know how you make this bright you'll learn from it and you move forward if baseball's smart instead of stripping and I don't think they will clearly Manfred has no interest in this whole thing and I don't care what star players say what the media says what politicians say it ain't happening and if it does happen shame on baseball because now you're really caving and i've even seen like you know polls where a majority of americans rec- you know vote on stripping the astros of the title oh, well come on i mean you're gonna tell me that's a scientific poll you cannot take away what happened all you could do is learn going forward and maybe the big learning for baseball is this Start to get your house in order and stop hiring figureheads like Joe Torre to run your operations. Now, I know Torre was relieved of his responsibilities. You have Chris Young now doing some of that stuff, former Mets uh, pitcher Chris Young. And uh, historically, baseball has been reactionary to everything. And they typically put people in charge for the name, in that case, Joe Torre or whatever, whoever the person has been. And, and they really don't have a structured or proactive, uh, you know, innovative, smart management team at the top. That's never been baseball's MO. It's always been cronyism and reacting to everything. So maybe that's the big thing that could come out of this, is that you take a bad incident in history, learn from it, and move forward. That's what should happen in American history, European history, sports history, college sports history, whatever. You don't strike records. You keep them out there. Stop being traumatized by stuff. Move forward and learn from it. Grow up. That's really what it is. Grow up. Stop the conversation. Move on. Death threats now to players on the Astros, really. And I blame, listen, I blame the media for this because they're at the forefront of immature. There's good coverage and there's immature coverage. And there's plenty of immature coverage with the sign stealing. So there's that. Last thing before I wrap up. I had tweeted out a little information about the Mets' ownership situation, and I wanted to address it really quick before I got off. So uh, I tweeted out that I'd heard, I'd gotten some information that Jim Dolan, yes, the same Jim Dolan that owns the Knicks and the Rangers and MSG and, you know, formerly sold off Cablevision to uh, Altice and all that, 
is interested in buying the Mets. And this is very good information that I got. I feel very comfortable with saying that. I tweeted out, of course I got scorned for it all. No one else is picking it up. Now, the New York Post last night, uh, actually was it, no, not Saturday night, Friday night, picks up the story saying, well, he might be interested in buying SNY. He says, that, you know, maybe not really interested in the team, interested in buying SNY. Now, I heard he was interested in the team. He was interested in City Field, especially because City Field was a concert venue. And as far as the SMY part, I think he's looking to merge that into the MSG network. Because let's face it, since the Mets left MSG and the Yankees used to be on MSG, the MSG used to be a year-round, especially when the Knicks and the Rangers and the Mets and the Yankees were on it. MSG was the place to be for New York sports back in the day. Now, with the Knicks being bad, the Rangers in a rebuild, no summer programming. I mean, that's a ghost town MSG. It's probably taking a pounding on the ratings. So it makes all the sense in the world for him to want to buy the team. You get City Field from his entertainment company perspective. You get potentially SNY. I don't know how you would work the, the, the rights fees and all that. I'm not an expert. So it's something to look out for. I know you guys cringe I, when you hear Jim Dolan because of what went on with the Knicks. Look, this is not the podcast to do this with. I will say this about Jim Dolan. The Rangers have been a very successful franchise. Uh, maybe not as successful as uh, as some would want, um, and not as successful as the Devils, but they had some really good runs under Dolan, uh, Dolan ownership. The Knicks have not. They've been a disaster under Dolan. And everyone's yearning for the days of Dave Checkets and Pat Riley and Jeff Van Gundy and Ernie Grunfeld uh, in that situation. Same owner, two different sports, two different outcomes. I think Jim Dolan, with his checkbook, and assuming that he would stay out of the way of the baseball operations, and that's a big if because he's he hasn't done that with the basketball operations, and this would be a a toy. It would be really interesting to see how that all merges. And I think from a a business standpoint, having the Knicks, the Rangers, the baseball team bringing a network together, I got to tell you, SMY has been a disaster in my opinion as a network outside of Mets coverage. Maybe something good could come out of it. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I never reported it as such. I reported it that there's interest. And I said that uh, middle of the week, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday I said that. It was th- I think it was Thursday. And then the report in the post comes out Friday. Of course, they don't cite this podcast. They don't cite me. That's okay. That's okay. But I'm going to leave you with this. Keep an eye out for that. And remember one thing. If you follow me on Twitter at Mike Silva Media, you listen to this podcast and I give you info. I am not in the game of breaking news. I'm not. That's not what this is about. I don't get paid an extra dollar for breaking a story. It's nice. It's nice to get accolades. It's nice to get recognized. I do this because I want to give you the best content possible, you the listener, who spends time and dedicates an hour or more of your life each week to listen to me, give my opinion, a guest come on and whatnot. So always remember, when I come out with something, that's the only agenda I have. That's it. Nothing more. And I see the critics, and I read the tweets, and that's their prerogative. But for anyone to take a pot shot and make it sound like I made it up because of my ego or because I want to pretend to be something I'm not, that's not the case. You heard it here first. I always tell you I love doing this, but this ain't putting bread on the table. I do this because I have a passion for this, and I feel obligated because of the Really good feedback I've gotten from you guys out there who listen. I feel obligated to continue to improve and be better and continue to give you that that product because I think you need that in a sphere of media that, quite honestly, fails you 
on a day in, day in and day out basis. And I'm sure I failed you too at times, and I try not to, but um, that's why I do this, and I want you to remember that. So I gave you that little piece of info. Let's see what happens. Like I told you last week, you can't get crazy about this ownership ownership stuff. Rumors are going to come out. I'm now contributing to it. Just use it as mental bubble gum. Realize the team is going to change ownership eventually, sooner rather than later. And I believe they're going to be in a better financial position when that happens. So uh, that's all that there is to that. So anyway, let's wrap up. Uh, long show. I want to appreciate. I want to thank Peter Carasotis for coming on. Of course, check out his book, Alou, My Baseball Journey. I highly recommend it. A great read. Not just if you want to learn about Luis Rojas, uh, maybe what kind of manager he'll be, but also about the career, about a very interesting baseball man and baseball family. If you want to listen to me, you can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And you get the show on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review. It will be greatly appreciated. Five stars, always appreciated. Keeps getting the show out there in a big way. I'm your host, Mike Silva, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Peace.